So hello, uh, welcome again Hi. to The Shed. Um, I'm really glad to be joined in The Shed this evening, or actually it's only late afternoon, but it feels like the middle of the night here, it's now so dark. I'm really glad to be joined in The Shed virtually by Dr. Idris Baker. And those of you who've watched things uh, I done, I've done before know I never really wanted to introduce the person I'm speaking to, I want them to do it for me. So Idris, over to you. Tell me, well, first of all, a bit about yourself. And then actually uh, the, the reason we're having this conversation is that you got in touch saying, let's have a chat. So having sort of introduced yourself a bit, say what it was you wanted to, you know, why it was we should have a chat. Well, my name is Idris Baker. I'm a palliative medicine doctor. I work as a palliative medicine consultant in Swansea in Southwest Wales. I've worked here for, for a while now. And um, I have, I, I guess, like a lot of people working in my field, I've cultivated down the years a, a bit of an interest in the ethics of decision making, particularly the ethics of decision making around palliative and end of life care. Um, but I've never claimed to know much about the law. And I've, I've bumped into conversations about what a decision is. And some of these, I've got to say, have taken me a bit by surprise, but but conversations that I've sort of overheard in writing and sometimes podcasts that I've listened into, um, where, where people who know about not only the, the clinical and ethical, but the legal realities and niceties of, of decision making um, have, have played around with the idea of what we mean when we talk about a decision and when a decision is made. And uh, yeah, in, in conversation with with uh, mutual friends, it, it came up that this might be an interesting conversation to have from a couple of different but complementary professional perspectives, I guess, and different sets of experience of it. Brilliant. Well, can I, can I as it were, fling it straight back to you to start with and, and give me your take on what you, as if, what do you think a decision is? And we could either do it by kind of different categories of, uh, of zones where the decisions come up or just a very broad idea to start with and then we can narrow down. It's a really interesting question and I don't know until fairly recent years when I've come across it being challenged I don't know that I've ever thought very hard about what a decision is. At the same time I've always thought that decisions are really important. What I teach the students I teach is that really doctors are only on the face of this earth for one thing, at least in human terms, which is to make decisions and write them down. That's really what we're meant to be for. Um, and, and I think it feels to me, at least in my practice, as if a, a decision, well, there may be a series of small decisions, and sometimes it feels like there's bigger decisions that are actually occurring over longer periods of time. I think it feels a bit more like that for some of me with certainly some important decisions that we make rather than there being a crisply defined point in time. Before that point, there was not a decision. Now there has been a decision. Um, uh, certainly with some of the things that we have to decide on, it feels to me as if they evolve. Yeah. Let's just concretize that. I mean, can you give me, can you give me an example where maybe reflecting on it, it feels actually know what it's wrong to salami slice there is something bigger out there mm. i mean i I've, I've been talking with with patients and families today i guess and without getting into any of the the gory detail um i i, I was the last conversation i was involved in actually today was about some treatment which is in place and we can all foresee and by we i mean me colleagues patient family that there's going to come a time when it's not appropriate to continue that treatment any longer. Now, that word appropriate is doing a lot of work there, but for whatever the reasons might be, 
where it might actually be right, might be better, might be more in line with someone's preferences uh, to discontinue something. Now that's something at this point we can foresee. We certainly haven't, you couldn't say we've completed a decision to stop it because for the time being, we all think it should continue. Come back in a certain period of time, I can be very confident that we will have completed a decision to stop it. But I couldn't say we haven't started making a decision. It feels that just by having the rich conversations we've already had, it feels to me as if there's a, a process of making a decision that mm -hmm. has begun. And I like to think in that instance, begun in quite a good way with quite open conversation about it, open conversation about the pros and cons and the values and the preferences and what might be being achieved for the time being by continuing, but what might not be achieved indefinitely by continuing. And it feels very much like something that is in evolution, but something that has begun. It's not entirely located in the future. And almost, I mean, from, from a clinical perspective, I wonder, would it be worse if, in fact, it didn't take place until the future? If you see what I mean, if, if you didn't recognise that there'd been the start of a process and thinking, if actually all that arose was the situation where somebody now is going, you know what, I don't think this is the right thing anymore. We should stop it. Without I th I think a precursor it, thinking it through. I mean, I, I, I could see that being very difficult. Now, of course, there are some decisions that have to be made in that way. I mean, I, I'm, well, I'm describing and characterizing here a particular kind of decision that, that can and should evolve over time. Clearly, there are decisions that, well, as in any walk of life, that, that have to be made and enacted immediately, and then the, the job's done. But I think for some of these bigger decisions, and, and for some of the ones where there's a lot to consider, a lot to take into account, a lot of weighing of preferences, a lot of weighing of good and bad effects of treatment to be done, where there is such an important role for mature reflection, and it's more than one party, of course, that needs to reflect. Now, clearly at the heart of this is a person receiving the treatment, but most people who find themselves in that situation can also see there's other people as well, the clinician providing the treatment has a stake in this, has, has some, some values to deploy the family. And, 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 you know, for this conversation, I would mean by family, whoever is close to the person, whether they're biologically family or not, I don't care too much, whoever's of importance around them, because we don't in reality make decisions in complete isolation from, from persons who are close to us. Um, and, and so each of those parties, I think, can benefit for some of these bigger, longer term decisions from the opportunity to reflect a little bit. And then you have this iterative process and each party having reflected a bit comes back and re-engages and says, well, this is where I've got to in thinking about this. And then maybe we talk some more and then maybe we go away again and we reflect a bit more. And sometimes it can take several stages. And, and I guess I could, I could see that there is a point in that process when you would say, yes, this is now the decision. I can see the word working in that sense, but I can also see a slightly different sense in which this is a process. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons you, you sort of flagged at the beginning that you were, you know, you'd realise there might be circumstances where other people didn't share that view of what a decision was. So I'm just sort of interested in teasing out from just give me an example of a situation where you went, as it were, you what? I know that's not yeah. a clinical or a legal term, but they're kind of... sure. But a bit, a bit it kind of is, isn't it? It kind of works. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was particularly in thinking about decisions that are made somewhat in advance yep. that need to be enacted at a point in the future. 
and and you can see then where this 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 separation of those two time points might force someone to think well which of those two time points is the decision now that might be a decision um that today i'm going to refuse to consent to particular treatments in specific future circumstances and of course that's particularly important if those circumstances are ones where i'll have for whatever reason lost the ability to to contribute to that decision at the time to make or to express it at the time um, then that's going to be particularly important um, and it might be clinical decisions that because they're complex uh, need making at a point in time when there's a need for reflection on them but actually the point when they need to be enacted is a point when there's such urgency that you don't have the time for reflection. And, and the paradigm that we always come to of that, the paradigmatic example, of course, being decisions on, on resuscitation, on cardiopulmonary resuscitation, which are always urgent when it comes to enacting them. You've got seconds to decide at the time, are you going to do this or not? Uh, and of course, for, for reasons that we'll all understand, actually making a decision, weighing all of the factors that are going to come into that decision, well, that's much better done when there is the, the calm opportunity to, to reflect. And, and so um, I just came across colleagues saying, well, is point A, the point when we're doing this mature reflection, maybe putting some words on paper, at least communicating about it, is that the decision? Or is the point when we actually enact or don't enact whatever we had put in place at some previous time point, is that the decision? And I just find that a really interesting question and, and me as someone who knows nothing about the law wants to say well kind of both <laughs> but maybe that's not good enough for, for you barristers i don't know yeah i think i better just defend you briefly before any of your patients or colleagues start saying idris baker knows nothing about law i'm absolutely sure that you you do uh, in terms of the, the uh, of the law but in terms of digging into that that issue i think there i mean i think I think it's fair to say that from the legal perspective, there's a, it's not grey, but there's definitely a recognition that, there, that there's a thing which happens at point A, you know, the earlier point in time, which has got something about it, which no matter how you characterise it, carries such weight at the point where it's got to be implemented, that it's very easy to start slipping into the term decision. So in other words, I mean, I always bang on now, try and bang on about the fact, would you please not call them do not attempt CPR decisions, say? Would you please talk about the, you know, not attempt, you know, do not attempt CPR recommendations? I mean, there's a separate point that I actually just hate do not attempt CPR things altogether because that's a sort of fetishization of one intervention as opposed to a bigger picture. But just sticking on DNA CPR for a minute, that if you, that the idea of it being a recommendation. So in other words, we're trying to get our heads together now to what we think the right thing to do in the heat of the moment might be. But it's really interesting that in the cases, for instance, that the, the Tracy case, um, where so much of the legal stuff ends up and comes out from, it's really clear that the courts there recognized that the ability at point B when you're in a heat of the moment to think is so constrained that you're almost, you're almost going to be so bound to follow what has happened previously that at some sort of weird functional level, it, it feels like a decision. Even if I suppose at one really nerdy level, what it really is, is a decision by the clinicians to put in place a recommendation. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, and actually, you know, in the example of, of CPR, 
every bit of uh, policy and guidance I've ever come across or, or have been involved in on this subject has made importantly, I think, provisions for either suspending or ignoring the thing yeah. you're calling a recommendation. So there's 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 always what I think of in my head as the, the cheese sandwich clause. So if the person where you've made what most doctors, let's be honest, think of as, as a decision, which you're suggesting we should call a recommendation that CPR shouldn't be attempted because of someone's condition. And there's been the discussion about that. But then five minutes later, they unexpectedly choke on the cheese sandwich in front of you. And, and you're trying to dislodge the cheese sandwich. And in the process of doing that, you recognize their breathing has stopped for long enough because of the cheese sandwich that you need to actually do a bit of CPR just to get them over the cheese sandwich episode. Well, most doctors would say, yeah, then you ignore that decision and and similarly that you might suspend it because of whatever clinical circumstances pertain at the, at the time um so there there is at least in principle that opportunity i guess to to disregard it um now i think they're probably both quite rare but but they're there but you know thinking about the the the, the law about which i'm going to maintain i know nothing you know just in, enough to stay out of jail and and to, to hopefully do my job but the it's the law that introduced uh, at time point A that I was talking about the word decision, isn't it? Because you have advanced decisions to refuse treatment. Yeah, that and feels I think like that, time point A to me. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. And I think one of the things I would do is, is to draw quite a stark distinction between the position where it's the clinicians who are making the recommendations, which you know, and do not attempt CPR notices or recommendations or anything like that, are ultimately a clinical recommendation which is why for instance it's not that the patient signs off on them it's not that there's it's not a patient-led document of course there's consultation with the person and if they can't be consulted with people close to them but it's ultimately a clinical a clinical decision it's a clinical decision to recommend whereas the, the the law of course as you're absolutely right introduces the idea that if it's me I'm allowed to decide now that I don't want. And it, it, it creates this, I was going to say fiction, and in fact, I'm going to stick with fiction. This fiction that that is me projecting myself forward to the point where I don't have capacity and someone is proposing this intervention. And the fiction, it's me saying, no, right there, right then. And I think one of the ways, possibly one of the reasons why they use the word advanced decision, I mean, obviously it comes from statute. Now it's written down mental capacity, but it's a much older idea, is I think it's obviously tracking back from the fact that if I decide now, don't operate on me, you know, you can't start waving your knife around. I know you're a palliative care surgeon. Palliative care doctor, you you so definitely like, don't want me waving knives around. That's a yeah. bad plan. Or, or, you know, in, in, you know, trying to inject me with something. If you did it in the face of my contemporaneous capacitous refusal, that's a very bad thing. I mean, you're committing a crime. You're, you know, you're doing something naughty. And so I think it's the idea that you're, there's some way in which you can project or you can, you know, you can move that decision point forwards in time. I mean, I, the reason I'm just for one second why I, I, I do slightly use the word fiction. I mean, of course, it's a fiction. Um, and I think it's also one of the things having spent a lot of time now grappling with kind of the complexities of those advanced decisions so when it's patient-led it gets so interesting because you alluded to this from a clinical perspective you know what happens when actually the treatment is being proposed and you might have sought to anticipate it 
you know, you now don't have capacity, you know, assuming we have a thought about and assess capacity properly, you don't have capacity. It is now technically, as it were, live, it's valid, it's applicable. You know, you do get in some quite challenging and interesting waters at that point, if one's really honest about it. Mm. And mm. I mean, I, I routinely say, and I'll just use this opportunity to say it again, I think it was a brilliantly ambiguous piece of drafting in the Mental Capacity Act mm. to say it's not valid and applicable. If you have done something inconsistent with that decision remaining or fixed decision and being very deliberately ambiguous about the fact that do could include, as it were, on the other side of incapacity. Yeah. And I think that was actually extremely subtle drafting. Yes. Yes. I remember some of the conversations that were happening politically at the time that some of the drafting was being done. Um, because I was I was you know trainee and following it with with quite close interest, and I think some of the uh, ambiguity there. I'm interested that you see it that way. I thought it was maybe just my understanding of it. Some of the ambiguity that was introduced there, I think, was was partly to deal with what is a little bit of a nightmare scenario. Again, from a clinician's point of view, um, we we know that people change their minds about things. We all change our minds about things. If you make a advanced decision and then change your mind and then lose capacity hopefully you've had the opportunity to express that you've changed your mind and there's the what if thing what if the change in mind is either so close to the loss of capacity or actually is after the loss of capacity and the loss of capacity has actually happened because of a deficit in communication more than in thinking so you have remained able to make the decision and you've been unable to express it as formally as that and I've once known a patient who was more or less sitting in the chair going, <laughs> unable to verbalise, but somehow expressing via someone who knew him well enough to understand the expressions, you would have had to say he lacked capacity to decide. There's no way he could um, communicate any decisions at all properly. But he was giving actually a pretty, pretty clear indication to someone who knew him that he'd entirely vault fast on his decision and it was the biggest decision he'd ever made and he was now clearly wanting now i mean that's a very loaded word to use if i've just said it lacks capacity but it just seemed clear i mean it seemed fairly clear to me meeting him for the first time but also really clear to this person who knew him well who was in the room no 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 there's something changed here and we completely violated every bit of planning that he had insisted on us doing and I'm absolutely certain it was right that we did so. Yeah, and obviously I, I wasn't there and I couldn't couldn't comment on the specific facts of a case. But on the other hand, that that's a paradigm example of where if the MCA had said in terms which actually the Irish legislation, their new legislation, which is coming into force quite soon and deals with advanced decisions, their legislation says in terms do something inconsistent before the loss of capacity. I think if that patient, you know, was either, uh, if the MCA said that or this patient, you know, reappears as it were in Ireland, I think there's a very interesting aspect. There's a very interesting thing that happens at that point because you really are in a situation where you're going, ethically, this feels completely wrong to say this person is, has bound themselves to something where it's, it, obvious doing everything that one can to interpret their will and preferences to use for instance the conventional rights of persons with disabilities language this is not what they want anymore why should yes. we hold this person to it yes which is why i, I do I, think it's it's marvelous the mca does allows you you were yes. acting perfectly lawfully there 
Yes, I think it goes to the heart of the point, and I'm interested in it, your point about this being a fiction that you can project forwards um, your decision, your wishes, whatever it might be, because um, I've, I've never, I guess, seen it quite as a fiction. I've seen it as instead an attempt at the best approximation that's available. And, and yes, there might be some something fictitious about that if we claim to give it the same almost sacred status that we give a contemporaneous capacitous uh, decision refusal particularly and um, there might be it, it might be a fiction to say it's as good as that but nonetheless it it has always felt to me to be part of this attempt to get the best possible approximation um, and, and and I think then it has to compete with other candidates now this may be a bit more controversial to some people I think it has to compete with some other candidates for what the best approximation might be now perhaps in this kind of case we're talking about the decision that's apparently been laid down in advance is competing with the later behavior mm -hmm. and and my job i think in weighing up what then shall we do is to work out which is closer neither of them is an autonomous decision now from this man but which of them is the better approximation to what it would be what i think uh, an american judge once called donning the mental mantle uh, of the person which is a slightly you know tricky phrase but I think we know what what was meant by it and and I'm trying to think if I could put myself in his shoes and clearly it's really problematic to claim to be doing that but if I could somehow do that then which is closer yeah and, and there may be there may even be other things that one needs to bring in so if if suddenly we've got other people entering the scene who know lots about this person and are saying apparently in good faith well let me tell you about some things that will help you to interpret these behaviors that will help you to uh, understand the scope of that previous refusal and so on then does that even get me that half a step closer to donning that mental mantle yeah i mean it's some really big stuff swelling around there and a really important and really big stuff i mean I think the reason i said fiction is it's it's as a way it is a it, it is a legal fiction that if you've made an advanced decision which is valid and applicable and you've done nothing inconsistent it is legally as if the patient is telling you no right here right now so it's one of their sort of you know in this area there are lots of legal fictions and that which are necessary to explain I mean, in, in a way it's necessary to have that legal fiction to explain why you dr baker are not acting unlawfully in not treating because you would be acting unlawfully if you were in treating in the face of someone's capacitous refusal assuming they weren't within the scope of the mental health act so it's, it's as it were giving you the explanation so but it's interesting that you then ran with the kind of the you know the alternative meaning of fiction or the kind of you know is it is it a wider is it is it as it were not only a legal fiction but actually it's a kind of a philosophical fiction and i think it is it's it's i think one of the areas that i find really interesting in relation to that advanced decision making and advanced decision making by the person is that it's a really fine line at one level, because of course you want to maximize the opportunity to make sure that people are able to stand and you know, project themselves forward and get their voice heard as loudly and clearly as, and in as unmediated a fashion as possible, you know, before you or somebody else deciding as, I mean, bluntly, do I turn the machine on or off? You know in in the kind of in extremists yes so you want to give that person the, the ability to give the most on you know most unmediated most real version of themselves yes and then on the other hand there are definitely going to be circumstances where you 
it, that, that's just plain wrong. You know, and it's not just because it makes the family feel uncomfortable. It's not just because it makes the doctor feel uncomfortable. But I actually... What have you... Sorry. I, I was just going to ask, what, what, tell me, you're talking about circumstances where that would be wrong. Tell me what kind of circumstances well, you have in mind. So, for instance, the, the situation where you get some piece of evidence, I mean, proper good faith evidence, which suggests, I mean, there are a range of examples. I mean, one of them would be, you know, the person didn't have capacity when they made it. I mean, that's going to sort of blindingly, well, practically very complicated, but philosophically, legally pretty easy. But sure. the kind of, actually, the person's mind did change before they lost capacity you know how do you interpret that or the one where it's not just they're now passively receiving care which people are offering them it's more than just passive recipient because many people in this situation won't be able to do much more than just passively receive but actually indicating they want and it just seems to i mean it, it's it, it is very it would to me at least would be very challenging to say that person then has to be bound. Yeah. And it's how you navigate that, but it's how you then navigate it at such a point that you don't then open the doors to then say, well, in every case where there's not a complete alignment between what the patient indicated in advance, what the doctors think the right thing to do is, and more to, almost more to the point what the family are comfortable with, at every point when you don't have those stars in alignment, as it were, just go, oh, this isn't no longer this is an advanced decision. This is a very interesting statement, which we're just going to blithely ignore. Mm. Mm. And that's, I mean, I suspect, I don't know, but actually I'll ask you a question rather than just rabbiting at you. I suspect it's probably easier to identify that sort of circumstance in reality than it is to try and describe it in the abstract. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think, you know, thinking back to the passage of the Mental Capacity Act, there were lots of anxieties about things that could in principle happen that most of us practicing looked at at the time and have continued to look at since and say, do you know what, I think that's okay. Because I think in fact, we can, for practical purposes, we can work out what's actually going on here. But I nonetheless find it really interesting, and it's why this conversation is interesting, to, to, to open the lid a little bit and look at what it is that we are doing, because some of it always is, is done by a, a degree of professional judgment and intuition, I guess, but actually to open the lid and look at what we are actually doing. And, and you know, this sense of finding the best approximation to what the, the the person's decision would be now if they were able to participate is is i think one way of characterizing that one way of describing it yes it is um i mean really annoyingly we're beginning to run short on time our self-imposed time in a bit. but i think just one thing just to, to, to maybe just tease out in the last few minutes is is i mean obviously that's the approach that one takes untrammeled you know by an advanced decision you know you'd be trying to think about that um, and if you've got that advanced decision, if it's not for whatever reason, as it were, the person's narrow decision, I'd just be really interested in your take on, because my personal fear, which is if we, we move to in best interest decision making, a model which really does seek to go the best interpretation of the person's will and preferences, which is to use the CRPD language if the person can't communicate. Um, where where are the pitfalls that you see or do you see any pitfalls in whose voice then gets heard because obviously you're then doing best interpretation which means you're then pulling in evidence and i'm just interested as to 
your take on yeah. on obviously it's a good idea on the spectrum of rampant paternalism you know just do what we feel right yeah you know a move away from that but i'm just interested in your take on that yeah i mean i'm going to reject the paternalism term because I, i'm i'm not convinced it's that gendered so I, I i i tend to use the word maternalism at work but we'll yep. compromise on parentalism maybe and Fair that's enough. that's an aside um i i think i mean there's so many pitfalls so just in terms of the range of voices that need to be heard you can have some missing and that's always a problem they may turn out only to say the same as you've already heard but you don't know until you hear them and then when you've got them all or you've got all the ones you can get what what weight is given it's so hard actually for anyone any player in this um to be saying this is what i think doris would dot 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 rather than this is what i would or what I wish Doris would have, or what I think Doris should have, or, I mean, it's really hard. And I say that without any criticism mm. at all, and without wanting to, to, to demean their position at all. It's just a humanly difficult thing, actually, to separate out. Um, so I think there are all of those problems. And, and then we, none of us have a view from nowhere, someone said. So we're, we're, we're coming through a particular set of filters. My experience, having, done all that slightly doom-laden stuff about the pitfalls is that good team working and it's an easy term to use and a slightly more difficult concept to enact good team working goes such a long way to mitigate that because the the pitfalls tend somewhat to cancel each other out mm -hmm. the biases that one introduces inadvertently tend somewhat to be cancelled out and i think the same principle then of how we can achieve that professionally can apply to how we engage the crucial other voices that need to be heard as well. The quality of the listening, the quality of the weighing. And I think then we, we come to something, again, I can't help coming back to the, the, the concept of the closest approximation. We come to a better approximation, the more voices we have heard and weighed, I believe. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I'm glad you turned it round to, it is doable. I mean, I'm, I, I know it is doable. I just think it's it's one of those areas where if one there's a risk that if one stampedes in saying it's got to be about this that unless you go in with a critical well two things it seems to me from a legal well I don't think quite a legal perspective one is always the critical assessment angle of what evidence I'm getting and then there's also and you've really flagged up the self-reflective angle of it's you know me. I have got my own things. How can I make sure I'm at least, I can't remove them because I'm me, but at least be self-aware. Yes. Yes, indeed. And, 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 and interrogating all of it. I, I was, I was taught ethics years ago by the late great Dan Callahan, And, and he said, and it's the only thing I remember him saying, to be honest, that uh, after six years studying philosophy at university, he had been equipped to do precisely one thing. And that was to ask, what do you mean? And I think asking that question of ourselves yep. and asking that question of some of the contributions that come in to this, this kind of process, this, this synthetic process, I think is, uh, is ever so valuable. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, on, on that very positive note, thank you so much, Idris. I really appreciate your time. Um, well, thank you. It's been stimulating. Great. All right. Thank you.